Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. A common question about Jesus is how much did he know and understand in his humanity? He is omniscient God, after all. So we might ask, did he know Swahili when he was seven years old? Did he understand the law of relativity? Did he know how to make a perfect souffle? Well, presumably he did not. Um, This omniscient God in human flesh did not know about tropomyosin, which is the compound in crustaceans which causes some people, yours truly, to be allergic, even though he's the one who put it there. He didn't know about it. When the eternal word became man, he willingly subjected himself to human ignorance at some level. Now, it wasn't a fait accompli that God would become ignorant just because he became enfleshed. God's not subject to things happening to him in that way. It was a part of his willing condensation. It is a part of his identification with our condition and our plight. And one of the most important aspects of what he did for us that we talk about and that is emphasized in the Gospels is that it was instigated by him. It was his willing, voluntary act of his love, what he did. He freely embraced our squalor. He freely subjected himself to suffering, passion, death, out of his love for us. Now, Jesus of Nazareth may not have known how a combustion engine works, but he did know He did know that he came here to suffer and die. He did know who he was and that the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, the prophets, that these were written about him. He knew that. He knew that he had the Father's work to accomplish. He knew that he had come to do the Father's will, which would culminate in his suffering, death, and resurrection. And everything he did and felt and thought, every action of his was in order to move him towards this ultimate purpose of his coming. There were many occasions on which he talked to his friends, as we heard this morning in Matins, he called his followers friends, not slaves, if, there was a condition to that, if you do what I tell you, you are my friends. He often talked to his friends privately, not to the crowds, but to his friends privately. He would talk to them and alert them, caution them, warn them about his impending passion. In today's gospel lesson, this is one of those instances. And it's very appropriate today on this gospel le- to have this gospel lesson because this is the Sunday before Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Holy Lent when we embark on this great journey, which will ultimately lead us to Holy Week, the betrayal, his beating crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. 
He tells his disciples in today's lesson that he is going up to Jerusalem in order to suffer and die. He tells them this plainly to prepare them so that their faith will not be utterly destroyed when it happens. They could be very confused if they didn't have this forewarning that their Savior, who had done all these great miracles, endured this suffering and death. It could destroy their faith. So he prepares them. Now, ironically, they do not understand at the time that he gives the warning. They don't understand what he's saying or the import of it. But after it happens, they will think back. They will remember that he had told them. And that's what secures their faith. That's what comforts them and keeps them from going into despair. That they will remember that he had warned them. The same is true in a different way for the general public. He also warns the general public of his passion, but he does it in code language, not as plainly as he does to his friends. He tells them about the temple being destroyed and rest destroyed and restored in three days. He tells them about the sign of Jonah and, and other examples. The people, of course, the crowds, the general crowds, also did not understand at the time that he spoke but later, after the fact, this was recorded so that man would know that Jesus knew what he was doing when he came. He knew why he came and what he had to accomplish. He understood his purpose and that he willingly came and gave his life for us. Now, he's going up to Jerusalem, but he's not going alone. He does not leave his disciples on the shores of Galilee to wait there for the joys of the resurrection. He's taking his disciples with him because eventually they're going to have to die too. St. Peter had just said to Jesus in the verses right before this section, St. Peter had said, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, well, you'll be rewarded for it, both in this life and in the life to come. And then he immediately called them aside and warned them of the coming passion. You may have left family and property for me, but you, what you will do has not yet reached its zenith. We're going to go to Jerusalem. There's going to be mocking, insults, scourging, and death awaits me, followed by a resurrection. But I'm taking you with me. We're going to go together. Because after I've endured such things for your sake, you will also embrace them. He doesn't say that in this particular passage, but he tells them that when they get to Jerusalem. Are you coming? Or are you going to hang out on the sands of Galilee with a mojito? <laughs> uh, that's not Jesus asking the disciples, by the way. That was me asking you. Come on, all of us, right? So today I'm offering an invitation like Jesus offered the invitations to his disciples. Let's all, all of us here today, let's all go with Jesus and the disciples up to Jerusalem. Just like St. Thomas prophesied, that we may die with him. Don't be afraid, though. Because Jesus lives. You see, we can go to Jerusalem with full confidence. He has overcome the grave. And death, by death. And the way, the door, the passage to this glorious life we all hunger and thirst for is to follow him to Jerusalem. He has carved out a path for us. 
And if we are to live, we have to follow him to Jerusalem. It's not hard, by the way. It's the easy way. He said that. It's the light and easy way. It's the way of peace. The only way of peace. It's the way of contentment. The way of truth. The way of light. Now the one place we don't have to follow him is down into hell. That's good news. Just onto the cross. We don't have to go into hell. Just onto the cross. You see, the hell isn't there anymore. It's vanquished. I tell people if they're going to Italy on vacation, don't bother. It's not there anymore. Because my wife and I ate it. <laughs> the whole country. When we die to ourselves, when we embrace our cross, we don't have to descend into hell because Jesus destroyed hell. We go straight from the cross into the light of glory. And there is nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. The cross is beautiful to us. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be afraid to write in our journal tonight when we get home, I'm going to get up at 5.30 instead of 6 so that I can say my prayers. Nothing to be afraid of. It won't kill you, I promise. The only thing to fear, really, I say there's nothing to fear, there is something to fear. The only thing to fear is our own cowardliness. I mean, that's the one thing that could keep us from embracing the cross and cheat us of this life of glory. The only thing we should fear is doing nothing. Disobedience, faithlessness, that's the only thing we should fear. We should not fear trusting God and obeying God. Christ is risen, and we have in him overcome the world. So let's all of us prepare today, this Ash Wednesday, to go up with Jesus to Jerusalem. So Holy Lent begins for us. Let's take a moment here and be practical. Okay? We can be practical. Last week I was not so practical. You got high Christological theology last week. This week, we're going to talk about how to roll our sleeves up and get to work. Let's be practical. Life is short, and then comes the end, right? Life is short, and then comes the end. There's time to sleep. My father, always, my, my father doesn't like to sleep. He never slept much. He said it's too much like being dead. He says, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You can sleep when you're dead. It's time to work now, okay? It's time to work. All of us here, we only have so many lengths left in this life in order to take advantage of. Let's not waste them. There's not very many left. For some of us, there's fewer left than for others. Let's take advantage of every single one. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of getting to the end of Lent and regretting that I have squandered my opportunity, another opportunity to grow in my salvation. I don't want mediocrity. I don't want the status quo in my spiritual life. So we have to prepare for Lent. We have to be deliberate about it. We have to be conscientious about it as we prepare to enter this holy season. Think about it. Eternal God, the unknowable, transcendent, eternal, infinite God, has made himself totally accessible to you in Jesus Christ. I don't know if when you ever pray in the middle of the day while you're driving down the road or doing the dishes and you start talking to God, are you ever in shock? Does it ever shock you that you could utter his name and you don't just incinerate? 
that you can utter his name and actually know that he's listening to you? That he cares about what you have to say? That you are his delight? Does that ever sort of amaze you? Cause you to wonder? It should. It should quite often. To say, our Father. And that he listens. We have that kind of access to God. You can speak to him any moment of any day. And he listens. He has made himself that accessible to you. That is a lot of humility on his part, by the way. The veil is rent, right? The doors of heaven have been opened wide. That blazing mountain which the Israelites could not touch or look at. You can climb right up on it and see God and know God. The only thing that keeps us back is our own forgetfulness and laziness, lack of faith, whatever. It's time for all of us now to move on up the mountain. In order to plan for this, we need to think ahead and we need to make a schedule for ourselves. Okay? Otherwise, Lent's just going to pass you by and you'll come to the end once again with regrets of how you, you know, wasted yet another opportunity. Also, by the way, let me just say, it's important not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. The goal is not for us to leap with a single bound to the top of Mount Sinai. We have to go, you know, pace ourselves. We have to go steadily, consistently, but slowly. So let's just make a beginning with the grace that we have received. Here's a list of some things. These are some of the things that you should be thinking about. Keeping the fast, that's simple. So if you need to modify the fast, you're supposed to talk to me. Many of you have already talked to me, and we'll discuss it if you need to modify it. But other than that, that's pretty well laid out. But what we often do during the Holy Great Fast is we spend more time thinking about how to make delicious vegan meals. <laughs> and we sort of miss the spirit of the fast. The fast is so that we don't think about food too much, and that we keep it simple. We give our attention to prayer, not to food. We should also be fasting from anger, strife. We should be giving attention to our thought life, especially. Here's one. That person that you've had been a little bit on the outs with, or you've had a little something against, make it your intention this Lent to go and reconcile with that person. Go ask forgiveness and go seek reconciliation with that person. Next. Spend a minimum of five minutes twice a day in silent stillness before God. Put it on the calendar. Pick a time. Pick a time. 7.15 a.m., 8.15 p.m. I don't care what time you pick a time. Five minutes. Minimum. Twice a day. Longer would be better. Be faithful to your prayer rule. So set your mind that if you've been a little unstable in your prayer rule, say, I'm going to write this down for myself every day, and I'm going to re-engage in faithfulness to my prayer rule. Those of you who are faithful to your prayer rule, increase your prayer rule during Lent. Read the scriptures daily. I'm going to send you out a reading list from the scriptures. Read a spiritual book. Pick a book to read. If you need a, a, a recommendation, come and ask me, and I'll give you one. Turn the radio off in your car. Something I do every Lent. Just turn my radio off. And I use that time to say the Jesus prayer, the rosary, or to just pray for people. Curtail or eliminate 
all social media, internet use that's not necessary, TV and radio. You don't have to completely eliminate it if you're not ready to do that, just curtail it drastically. Also, curtail other extra activities, travel. We're pretty good about this. Actually, I've talked to you about this for years. You shouldn't be planning, you know, trips to Cancun during Lent. My niece is in Cancun right now. Thank God it's not Lent yet. <laughs> she told me the other day she was going to Cancun. I said, what? She said, I'm going before Ash Wednesday. Because she listened. Curtail your activities. Travel, entertainment, simplify your schedule. If you simplify your schedule, you'll be able to add all these other things in. Prepare for a good confession. Don't just show up and don't wait to the end. I do not hear confessions during Holy Week. So you need to prepare before Holy Week or you're out of luck. Come to more services. So attend more services. We have lauds every single day. We have mass every single day in Lent. It'll be on the schedule. Make an intent, your intention. I should throw this in there too. Um, you might even consider showing up for matins and vespers. Might be a nice thing. If you can't quite manage that, I would strongly encourage you to show up for mass uh, on time. That would be even better than giving up cookies and cake during Lent, which is not prescribed, by the way. You can have dinner and then have cookies and cake. Eat all the cake, not all the cake you want, but... <laughs> Have some cake and come to Mass on time. That is my personal request. If you are going to give up cake and not show up to Mass on time, I beg of you, on my behalf, eat the cake and come to Mass. <laughs> Increase your giving. And we just had our big parish meeting. We talked a lot about giving, our responsibility to give, how this is a part of our love for God and His church. If you've not been tithing, Maybe if you don't feel ready to tithe, which means 10%, maybe try it for Lent. Um, deny yourself in terms of, you know, pleasing yourself, I want to do this, I want to do that. Think about how you can serve other people. Maybe some extra opportunities to give of your time, your energy. Maybe simple things too. It's not like, you know, you have to give your body to be burned. Maybe it's just a matter of spending some time with somebody at coffee hour who's lonely or inviting somebody out, inviting somebody over to your home. Eat dinner together as a family. We've gotten away from that a lot, haven't we? That would be very good. Let's return back and instead of eating in front of the TV or whatever scattered, let's make a point to come together around the table this Lent and let's eat together and have a good conversation in our family. So let's all go up this Lent with Jesus to Jerusalem together. We'll embrace the cross with him so that we can have the fullness of joy at his resurrection. We'll embrace his suffering and his cross that we might know the power of his resurrection in our own lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.